Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Chute. I'm Chute Chi. Coming to you now as the Climate Buddha. I am actually a Buddhist. I have practiced Tibetan Buddhism a lot. I've got many, many hours learning, teaching, studying, meditating. I lived at a Buddhist center for about four years. I take the ideas that Buddhism brought seriously and deeply consider them and decide whether or not I'm going to integrate them in my life. I decided that peace, inner peace, outer peace, conflict, war, anger, all these issues were uh, to be washed out of my mental continuum so that I could attain a state of continuous permanent happiness independent of external circumstances. These efforts have been very worthwhile. So the climate Buddha is very interested in in world peace. It turns out that if you listen to some of my previous uh, episodes you'll hear me discuss the propaganda matrix and the idea that the television is just providing us a continuous stream of well-orchestrated bits of propaganda and that a gentleman by the name of Tom Secker has perfected the use of the Freedom of Information Act in order to get information about our movies and how many of them are actually propaganda. Well, there are academic researchers, very, very, very smart people, professors, who are publishing on the internet information about propaganda, about the resources available for them, and the problems of peace. And if you notice, there hasn't been a war that the New York Times hasn't loved. There hasn't been a war that mainstream CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox hasn't loved. There has never been any legitimate and consistent message involving peace studies ever on the media in any way. Any article, story that is even remotely critical of the military system is stopped before it's written. There is no dialogue about peace. So when I got on the web years and years and years ago, I sought out resources for peace. I want to know who has something to say about about war and peace, who's worth listening to. And by chance I came across a man by the name of, of Michael Chussoff Dosky, globalresearch.ca. This man consistently has provided a message that I believe is correct and well-researched. I have a history with his website that goes back a long, a very long time. He has been consistent in message. He is courageous enough to criticize Israel. He's also courageous enough to criticize the United States 
he is a Canadian professor. I have history listening to him, and I can say that what he has to say is decent, profound, and generally true. It's never actually challenged on a factual basis. So I'm going to push a button on one of my other devices, and a voice will come on, and it'll be the article that he's just published in Global Research, May 16th, 2019, and is called Towards a Culture of World Peace. It'll be linked below this podcast. But listening to this together and then commenting on it afterwards, I think will be a great time for the Chu Chi podcast. So enjoy this, and I'll be talking to you in about another five or ten minutes. The following text was presented at the closing session of the Conference on Dialogue of Asian Civilizations, section of the program organized by the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, CAS, Beijing, May 15th to 16th, 2019. The world is at a dangerous crossroads. A culture of war and military conquest is upheld. War is presented to public opinion as a U.S.-NATO peacemaking endeavor which will ultimately result in the spread of Western democracy. Military intervention not to mention economic warfare, including sanctions, are routinely upheld as part of a humanitarian campaign war has been granted a humanitarian mandate under NATO's responsibility to protect R2P. Culture which is the theme of the Conference on Dialogue of Asian Civilizations, Beijing, May 15th to 16th, 2019 is of utmost importance in resolving conflicts within and between nations culture defines perceptions and understanding as well as dialogue and diplomacy. In this regard, towards a culture of world peace constitutes a commitment to human livelihood. It is an initiative which consists in confronting the discourse in support of war and military intervention emanating from NATO and the Pentagon it requires reviving a worldwide anti-war movement nationally and internationally as well as establishing a resolve by the governments of sovereign nation-states to reject this worldwide process of militarization. The contemporary US-NATO culture of war, which has its roots in European colonial history, constitutes an obvious obstacle and impediment to the dialogue of civilizations and China's Belt and Road Initiative Bray. Launched by President Xi Jinping in 2013, the culture of peace is universal. It is shared by people and nations worldwide. Today's culture of war is a U.S. hegemonic project predicated on the creation of conflict and divisions within and between countries. It is this, unilateral, project of global warfare which is intent upon destroying civilization. The culture of peace which was addressed by President Xi Jinping in his opening address of the Conference on Dialogue of Asian Civilizations, constitutes an important instrument which has a bearing on broad geopolitical, economic and strategic relations. The procedure consists in ultimately confronting and dismantling the culture of war which has a pervasive impact on the human mindset. This endeavor will not succeed through political rhetoric or a war of words. It requires translating the culture of peace into concrete actions at the geopolitical and diplomatic levels confronting media disinformation and war propaganda a cohesive anti-war movement at the grassroots of society, nationally and internationally. An endorsement by the governments of sovereign countries member states of the United Nations, namely a decisive intergovernmental rejection of the U.S.-NATO culture of war, which is in blatant violation of the UN Charter. The disbandment of military alliances, including NATO, which are supportive of global warfare. 
The withdrawal of NATO member states and NATO partner member states from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. The adoption of a coherent and worldwide disarmament program coupled with major reductions in military spending. The closing down of all military bases. Some 800 US military bases in about 80 countries. The curtailment in the international trade of weapons. The restructuring of national economies with a view to downgrading and eventually closing down the war economy. The reallocation of financial resources and tax revenues towards the civilian economy including social services. So-called humanitarian warfare. The victims of US-led wars are routinely presented by the Western media as the perpetrators of war. Realities are turned upside down. War is peace said George Orwell. The Western media in chorus upholds war as a humanitarian endeavor. Wars make us safer and richer says the Washington Post. When war becomes peace, the world is turned upside down. Conceptualization is no longer possible. The consensus is to wage war. The building of this diabolical consensus consists in the militarization of the cultural industries. The latter are supported by the U.S. Department of Defense which allocates a large share of its budget to upholding the culture of war. T. The ideology of militarism pervades society, glorifying the U.S. state's use of violence not diplomacy to achieve security in a world divided between a righteous American us and an evil and threatening them. Representing war as the first and most appropriate solution to every problem that vexes America and reducing patriotism to unquestioning support for each and every incursion, Tanner Mirrelees, the Dodds Cultural Policy. Militarizing the Cultural Industries, University of Ontario Institute of Technology, October, 2017. In turn Hollywood in liaison with the Pentagon has endorsed the culture of war and violence. The Hollywood-Pentagon connection represents a key dimension of the military entertainment industrial complex where film is simultaneously being used as a tool for recruitment, military public relations, and commercial profit. According to Tom Secker and Matthew Alford, a similar influence is exerted over military-supported TV. Imperial Conquest, America's long war against humanity meanwhile, the balance sheet of death and destruction in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria as casually ignored civilians in war-torn countries are responsible for their own deaths. This narrative pervades the Western media, 233,000 estimated deaths in Yemen since 2015. According to a recent United Nations report 140,000 children killed. The media is silent. Who are the war criminals? Global warfare. In September 2000, a few months before the accession of George W. Bush to the White House, the Project for a New American Century, PNAC, published its blueprint for global domination under the title, Rebuilding America's Defenses. This document which has a direct bearing on us foreign policy refers to America's long war. Defend the American homeland, fight and decisively win multiple, simultaneous major theater wars, perform the constabulary duties associated with shaping the security environment in critical regions, transform U.S. forces to exploit the revolution in military affairs. The revolution in military affairs consists in developing advanced weapons systems as well as a new generation of nuclear weapons. War culture and nuclear weapons. The culture of war is marked by a radical shift in us nuclear doctrine. Starting in 2001, tactical nuclear weapons are heralded as harmless to the surrounding civilian population. A new generation of more usable, low-yield tactical nuclear weapons, mini-nukes, was put forth. They're heralded as peacemaking bombs. The doctrine of mutually assured destruction, MAD, 
which prevailed during the Cold War era has been scrapped under Bush's 2001 Nuclear Posture Review, NPR, endorsed by the U.S. Senate in 2002. Nuclear weapons are to be used on a first-strike preemptive basis, as a means of self-defense against both nuclear and non-nuclear states. This is an absurd and diabolical proposition which can only be sustained by misleading public opinion, that is by obfuscating the deadly impacts of nuclear weapons. Moreover, while the U.S. has waged countless wars in what is euphemistically described as the post-war era, 1945-present, the issue of self-defense is erroneous, the national security of the United States of America has never been threatened. While the U.S. and its NATO allies have launched a military adventure which is sustained by the culture of war, the public is largely unaware that the use of these more usable nuclear weapons, with a variable explosive capacity between one-third to twelve times a Hiroshima bomb, threatens the future of humanity. There are powerful economic interests behind the culture of war. The oil industry, the military-industrial complex, Wall Street. In turn, there are powerful lobby groups which influence us foreign policy. Dialogue and debate are required. It is important that these economic actors, including the weapons producers, be made aware of the inherent dangers of global warfare. Financing the culture of war. Trump's $1.2 trillion nuclear weapons program constitutes a financial bonanza for the defense contractors. Us media reports suggest that the nuclear weapons program makes the world safer. The culture of war sustains a unilateral buildup of the weapons industry funded by us taxpayers. The culture of war has triggered mounting military expenditures to the detriment of the civilian economy. Total military spending worldwide was of the order of $1.8 trillion in 2018. US defense expenditure was of the order of $649 billion, which represents 36% of worldwide military expenditure, all countries, CIPRI. The Trump administration has supported a significant hike in defense, war and related national security expenditures. The defense budget presented by the presidency to the US Congress for 2020 is of the order of $750 billion, of which $718 billion will go to the Pentagon. But this figure of $740 billion is in some regards misleading, accounting for a massive US intelligence budget, homeland security, and related war expenses, the requested annual US national security, war. Budget for 2020 is estimated to be in excess of $1.2 trillion. There are at least 10 separate pots of money dedicated to fighting wars, preparing for yet more wars, and dealing with the consequences of wars already fought, see, William D. Hardung. Mandy Smithberger, Boondoggle, Incorporated, Making sense of the $1.25 trillion national security state budget May 10, 2019. Compare the figures. The total individual tax revenues for 2020 are of the order of $1.82 billion. Total defense, national security, intelligence, to make the world safer, ETC is of the order of $1.25 trillion. 68.7% of the individual income taxes paid by Americans. While the weapons industry is booming, the civilian economy is in crisis. Civilian infrastructure and social services including Medicare are collapsing eventually what is required are policy mechanisms for the phasing out of the war economy and the national security apparatus. While channeling resources into rebuilding the civilian economy. No easy task. The cultural dimension is crucial. Us policymakers believe in their own propaganda. The culture of war often combined with twisted ideological and religious undertones, influences government officials involved in acts of war. In 1945, 
President Truman intimated in the immediate wake of the bombing of Hiroshima that God stands on the side of us Americans with regards to the use of nuclear weapons. We pray that he, God, may guide us to use it, nuclear weapons, in his ways and for his purposes, August 9, 1945. Hiroshima was designated as a military base in Truman's historic speech on August 9, 1945. The stated objective of the Harry Truman was to save the lives of innocent civilians. In the contemporary context, diplomatic relations and dialogue are at an all-time low. At no time since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis has the world been closer to the unthinkable, a global military conflict involving the use of nuclear weapons. In this regard, what should be acknowledged is that us government officials in high office who decide upon the deployment and use of nuclear weapons do not have a full understanding of the consequences of their acts. The Legacy of History the contemporary US-NATO culture of war has its roots in European colonial history. Starting in the late 15th century, European colonization was invariably supported by military conquest, violence and political subordination. A colonial economy was established. Western cultural values and the language of the colonizers were imposed, civilizations were undermined or destroyed. The colonial system ultimately led to the establishment of hegemonic relations, leading up to the consolidation of the British Empire in the 18th and 19th centuries, followed by us Neo-colonial expansionism in the late 19th century and in the wake of World War I. What is significant is that this culture of colonial violence inherited from the British Empire has a bearing on the nature of contemporary US foreign policy, which in large part is predicated on militarization at a global level. The US has currently more than 800 military bases in 80 foreign countries. Many Asian countries which were the victims of US-led war, not only have military cooperation agreement with the US, they also host US military bases on their territory. In South and Southeast Asia, European colonialism was marked by conquest coupled with the displacement of the pre-existing Silk Road trade relations. Historically, China's trading relations under the land and maritime Silk Roads were marked by dialogue and the extensive exchange of culture China's trade relations during the antiquity and Middle Age extended into South and Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Central Asia, East Africa and Western Europe. Starting during the Han Dynasty, 207 BC-220 AD, the land and maritime Silk Road played a key role not only in economic exchange between civilizations but also in the spread of social and cultural values. In contrast to European colonialism, these relations largely respected the sovereignty, independence and identity of the countries with which China was trading with. The Silk Road trade did not seek to impose or develop a dependent colonial relationship. The language of diplomacy was marked by the benefits of bilateral exchange. Asian culture and China's Belt and Road. The mindset in Asian societies, which historically have been the victims of colonialism and US-led wars is in marked contrast to the dominant culture of war. The legacy of history prevails. While the culture of war characterizes America's hegemonic ambitions modeled on the legacy of the British Empire, China's contemporary Belt and Road Initiative, BRI, which consists in developing trade relations with a large number of partner nations states, is largely committed to a culture of peace. Most Asian countries have been the victims of Western colonialism starting in the 15th century, the impacts of which have led to the destruction of the pre-existing maritime and land trade routes as well as the demise of cultural exchange. And numerous countries in Asia and the Middle East extending from the Mediterranean to the Korean Peninsula have been the victims of US-led wars in the course of what is euphemistically called the post-war era. 
Today, most of these countries are partners of the Belt and Road Initiative launched by President Xi Jinping in 2013. As we speak, the U.S. is threatening Iran. Washington has announced the deployment of 120,000 US troops to be dispatched to Persian Gulf, Secretary of State of Mike Pompeo, who has little understanding of history and geography, has justified this deployment, while casually referring to the clash of civilizations. US-led wars are intent upon destroying civilizations as well dialogue between sovereign nation states. As we conclude this closing session of the Conference on the Dialogue of Asian Civilizations in Beijing, let us endorse the culture of peace as a means to ultimately abolishing all wars. Asterisk. Michelle Jasudovsky is an award-winning author, professor of economics, emeritus, at the University of Ottawa, founder and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, CRG, Montreal, editor of Global Research. Well, that was the reading of that article, which was a... Um, symposium going on in Beijing where all of the uh, war industrial contact uh, uh, was brought out for all of us to to see. Um, this, this effort uh, did not come without some of its own propaganda. It appears that the uh, Chinese were justifying their latest initiative. Um, Chinese is Chinese uh, international relations with China is certainly not a subject of which that I am highly studied, uh, but there's no doubt that my life was directly impacted by China's aggressive trade policies. Uh, the My uh, ex-wife and I were in the art business, and suddenly China began dumping art on the American art market. Um, I don't know what the mechanisms were of that. It may very well have been an American man who took his American money and sent it over to America, China, and, and, and uh, had hundreds of thousands of high-quality paintings dumped into our marketplace. It may very well have been an American who did that. But the ability to create the kind of mass uh, that the, of, of art that was created from China was, was spectacular. It was just incredible. It affected our sales, and the Chinese also dumped into the, the sculpture market. There was a Chinese dumping of, of, of high-quality sculptures from China. Prices were practically non-existent, and, and, the, and the, in the end, this uh, directly affected the local economies. And the idea of a local economy, the idea that you know, wherever the community that you live in has its own economy, uh, and that there's something autonomous about that economy, that's when you discuss trade war. That's when you say, well, no, I don't want to have franchises from China arriving in my neighborhood. Uh, and is China a culture of peace at that point when they're aggressively seeking additional market shares, or are they being good capitalists? Hence, so many of my criticisms and so many of my discussions of the solutions to climate change completely revolve around the idea that capitalism is simply just no way to run everything. That, that having deep concentrations of power, either in the military, through an economic system, through the dollar, through the banks, this is just no way to run anything. This is just not the way to run anything. These are systems and mechanisms that predate our culture by hundreds and hundreds of years. 
And they might have worked great in medieval, medieval Europe, but they probably didn't actually work great in medieval Europe either. There was just no other alternative. The Monty Python skit where the Holy Grail, where he's encounter where the peasant is encountering the king with deeply sophisticated socialist rhetoric, was was comedic because there's no doubt that the that the serfs of medieval Europe had no access to any other system than the one that was being handed to them by what's called structural violence. Well, we're in the same situation. There's structural violence that's creating this economic system. And guess who's on board with that? There's two big books in the peace studies. It's so funny. You can talk to people who've read hundreds of books in their lives. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. Some, some people have read every single military novel there ever is. And you ask me, have you ever read any books about, about peace? And they'll say, no, no, no. Well, there's two books. If you, if you do nothing else in your life and you say, I want to further my understanding of what world peace is, then there's two books. One's called War is a Racket and the other one's called War is a Lie. That's a good place to start. Easy to remember, War is a Racket, War is a Lie. War is a Racket was written way back when, back in the Prescott Bush days. War is a Lie is written much more recently. But it's about the propaganda. It's about this this article that was just read to you. Paid homage to the difficulty of keeping up this complete boondoggle without constant propaganda being fed to us. Propping up whatever this thing is. So, anyways... I've been watching this propaganda machine. I've been trying to profit from it. My ad agency did some public relations work, but in the end I saw it as essentially evil because I knew that, that the truth was being hidden for a price, the truth was being avoided for a price, and that lies were being sold for a price. So I began to have skepticism, and I turned off my TV literally 20 years ago, and I haven't spent a lot of time in front of it as a result of, of this commitment because I just felt that the information was of low value. So I turned to the internet and I said, what can I get for high quality information? Who, what academics are talking about these subjects and what do academics have to say? What does the referee journal literature have to say about subject matters? And in some cases I wouldn't deal with a referee journal literature. I happen to have a medical condition that didn't show up on the radar. It was a really difficult medical condition to deal with. No one could help me. Doctors didn't know what was going on. I spent a lot of time researching that. Luckily, I'm good at that. And I've got healthy. I'm strong now. But my overall point is, is that making media choices, finding the right people to listen to is what the Climate Boot is about. I just want you to know that I'm committed to peace that makes sense. I'm committed to solutions to climate change that are real. I'm committed to truthful understanding of the climate processes so that you can plan your life accordingly. And I think that's, I think that simple piece of information of how to plan your life accordingly based on what's going on in the climate. But most importantly, I'm really interested in policy. I'm interested in setting together a policy, a new system of policies new system of mechanisms so that policy will no longer be in the control 
of a concentrated few. Hashtag distribute power just says we need to distribute power. And the best way to do this is through democratic means. A deeply sophisticated, technocratic, democratic system where every large decision, everything that needs to be thought out, every direction that we're going to use our military, every time we decide to invade a country, we don't have one person deciding that. Or a or some group of well-connected individuals making all those decisions, we need to vote on this beyond the Senate, beyond the machinations of, of the Hollywood that, that Washington has become. We need a system that actually works. This is part two to a culture of war. The solution of hashtag distribute power is a complete voluntary system. I believe this will make the most amount of sense to anybody who is in control, anybody who is in charge. Hashtag logical radical means that once you understand the situation with the climate, you're going to be making decisions very quickly. And the best decisions to make are the most radical. Capitalism in its rapacious processes of consuming resources, this methodology of running everything has used up a lot of resources. And it turns out that we're facing, without a doubt, limited resource situations, specifically food. Right now we have plenty of oil in the tank here in the United States. But at some point, oil in the tank limited resources, fuel oil, it's cold in Canada, it's hot in Florida. The amount of resources necessary so that the populations there are not freezing to death or dying of heat prostration. Distribution of resources. An economic system that's based around a fair distribution of resources is based upon what's called the universal Lyman wage, where everybody in the entire planet has a living wage. Folks in Mexico, folks in Panama, the folks in Russia, the folks in Australia, all a universal living wage. This living wage will be based on distribution of uh, resources. Everybody will get enough. Everybody will be taken care of. The basic universal constitution of human rights in place. Once we have that in place, we're then going to use the resources of this human capital through a technocratic, democratic, distribute power grid where the difficult decisions will be made by everybody. Where the difficult decisions will be faced by everybody. And with all the greatest respect and faith in our military leaders and political theater participants. This process of making these incredibly painful decisions, I am saving you that aggravation. I'm saving you the difficulty and pain of making the decision of who gets fed and who does not. These distribute power 
methodologies, a technocratic Wikipedia, computer-based, fully integrated, open source software system can run everything so much better than our antiquated political systems. Our administrative systems, all these machinations to make simple policy decisions are ridiculous. We see that the FDA and all the other of our supposed corporate watchdogs that we placed in power to protect us from the malfeasance of the capitalist system have been captured and replaced with public relations extensions of the industries from which they were hired to regulate. Do you know that the regulatory process can be done through distribute power systems? A question comes up and says, are are these poisons harming the environment? The initiation of the scientific process and the election of a critical mass of statistically significant experts on the subject matter, plus another critical mass of educated individuals capable of understanding the science involved. We're talking a group of maybe 10 to 30,000 worldwide can make policy decisions as good as one man sitting in an office in Washington. There is no need for this administrative overhead. Codependency is a term that I spent quite a bit of time contemplating. The idea that behavioral traits in relation to others were based on an underpinning of control. That so much of our communication was an attempt to control others' destiny and manage their choices. This all came from the addictions community where most addicts had someone else who was involved in their addiction, trying to control it, to get it better, fix it, control them, get somebody under control. These evolutionary, tribe-based behavioral traits really become the managerial genius, the ability to set control structures for others, for them to succeed within management talent, the ability to hire, recruit, and charismatically bring people into the fro of your persuasive talents. These these aspects of tribal leadership have failed to account for climate change, to change things in time for climate change, and have basically screwed everything up. This ability to control others, this management hegemony upon the universe is really the codependency of the military system. The idea that there's some sort of badge of control this controlling others through force, violence structure, restraint all of these violent controls that war represents are just a form of of codependency just a behavioral trait that has jumped the shark and given us all that it can give if we reduce control and increase the power of the individual where their votes matter where their research matters, where how they've spent their time 
on earth matters, that they know that they're participating in whatever that they're doing, that they're not a passive observer, a victim, a slave, that that one thing alone can be universally applied to everybody. The decisions that come out of a distributed power grid are distributed power answers. The distributed power answers have the cooperation of all those who participated. Today we're seeing abortion being outlawed in uh, Alabama or some form of restrictive. The point is the issue has never ever been dropped. At no point from the legalization of it in the 60s to this point in 2019 has the issue been dropped. It's continuously being fought because someone doesn't believe that they were adequately represented in the democratic system. Someone says the democratic system did not meet my needs. This is a policy I wanted placed and it did not happen and I don't trust the the current democratic system to provide me with my needs. I'm going to stay on this issue forever and fight it till I'm dead until everybody in office fits my litmus test. This, this is just battling to all of our deaths. Waste of time on issues that are emotional and have nothing to do with the environment and the climate. This obsession with social programs and projects and getting in arguments with various people when the planet is heating up and we're all going to be caught up in the, in the maelstrom of problems. Unprepared, walking around, concerned about abortion while we have a heating up planet, a melting Arctic. Refugees and food supplies under stress. Do you know policy means what we choose to put our time and energy in? So if we said to the American people, I'm giving you a Wikipedia and a Facebook page that's devoted to running the place. And you are going to decide what we're going to do first. You just just look at the choices that are out there and say, well, we could work on infrastructure. We could work on, we could work on, you know, taking over Iran. We could work on blowing up Venezuela. We could work on the destruction of the environment in some profound way. We could do that. We have that choice. Or or we could have an initiative where the indigenous are respected and they're empowered and given back what has been taken and given sovereignty over the land that they hold so dear because that, my friends, is what has been missing in our system is the ability to look to the land and realize that that is God. That is the sustenance from which we all arise. That the true God is the land itself. The loam and the earth and the weather and the trees and the birds and the bees. That, my friends, is God. Not some punishing, genocidal, psychotic 
unpredictable, violent thing that demands its followers ban abortion so that they can grow larger audiences and larger grow this entire growth paradigm it just hasn't worked we need to do something about this instant radical change says that the people in charge can make that change when they want to and they will it'll become so logically obvious that the changes that she's recommending the universal alignments are the most sensible thing that we can do then we need to transit off of an industrial economy into something other than that in a careful, controlled way while we have the industrial infrastructure. Set up a, distribu- uh, a distribu- distri- distribution of asset system so that everybody's taken care of. End all of men's games. This casino capitalism is a simply a game. It's all a big rigged game. We're done with that. It didn't fix climate change. In fact, it harmed it. So what we need to do is have new games. So the games are based on whether or not what you're doing is helping others in a profound and powerful way. If you can do that, you can keep doing your game. Otherwise, you now have a universal wage from which you will be paid to live. We also have a social structure for transition of industries that will keep the existing economic order in place during these transitions. If you're making 100 grand a year as an, as an engineer and there's no more military buildup for you, you'll keep your 100 grand a year for a bunch of time. Resource allocation strategies make it difficult for us to, to understand because we have so much abundance in the United States. But there have been times where we have had restricted resource allocation, and we've seen the difficulties after hurricanes. We've seen what it's like to get people's needs met when the infrastructure crumbles, electricity's done. That's a job. That's a job to prepare for that. FEMA on steroids means that everybody is going to be taken care of. And to end the, the refugee crisis is simple. Pay people to stay where they are. Provide them with supplies. Make sure that their Walmarts are full. We can do this. We can do it cheaper than anybody. And we can weather the storm, no matter what the weather is. Because we'll weather the weather. We have the ability. We just need an effective political system that knows no boundaries, that knows no borders, that is designed specifically to care for people first. And the, and the accomplishment of caring for people is the number one thing that it'll do. My name is Matthew Chu. I'm Chu Chi, the Climate Buddha. I have hashtag universal alignment, hashtag distribute power, hashtag instant radical change, hashtag logical radical, hashtag competitive alignment, hashtag Chu Chi, Matthew Chu. We can get this done. We can solve this.